Hey y'all, it's Trent, and this is part of No Walls Worship. I am part of No Walls Worship, and you are part of No Walls Worship because you're listening, and I'm grateful. Thank you for listening. I um, uh, Today is December 1st. It's Saturday. It's the evening. It is 8.30-ish, and I am in my oldest daughter's bedroom. This is a good place to record. There's a good little desk, and there's lots of stuff on the walls, so... Things don't echo around quite as much. And uh, the house is quiet, which is nice as well. Um, but to, so December 1st, that means tomorrow is December 2nd, and it's Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, and that means it's a no-wall Sunday. Um, so for December, uh, we've got December 2nd, December 16th, our regular deals, and then our special get-together, uh, December the 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve, Candles and Carols, an evening event starting at 7 p.m., 7 to 8.30 is, I think, our official runtime, though it may go a little long, maybe, I don't know, um, over at Angel's Ice House, and I love being over there. It's special when it's dark, and then we get the lights out and get the candles going, and it's just just fun. Third time we've done it, and uh, it's going to be great. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think that's all I want to do. Uh, I'm going to get into the message, and like I mentioned um, in the last one, I'm going to start getting into miracles similar to the way I did with parables, and uh, I'm finding already that these miracles are just just powerful, like a, a kind of power I can't even begin to explain yet. Uh, I did another take of this where I was trying to explain sort of the power I'm feeling and just knowing and studying and praying on them. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I just can't yet. No, maybe I will be able to soon. Um, but the title of this message is courage, courage with an exclamation point courage. All right. So I'm gonna get into it. I think I'm in trouble. I set up for you last week that I wanted to start diving into the miracles that were recorded in the New Testament. And my premise is pretty simple. I want to understand the things Jesus did. And as I go through them, I want to be asking, what does this miracle have to say about what the man was up to? And at a level deeper, what does it say about how Jesus wanted to impact people Y'all, as an aside, that all by itself, I think, is an interesting question. How do you want to impact people? When you're in a room, when you walk into a room, what impact do you want to have when you walk wherever you walk tomorrow, this evening, wherever? What kind of spirit do you want to radiate? What do you want others to feel because you're there? But as I said, I... I I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, this miracle we're going to get into today is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, I think you know this one. Five loaves and two fishes. Jesus takes focaccia bread and salmon, I guess, I don't know, and he starts breaking it apart. And five loaves of bread and two fish are enough to feed 5,000. And not just 5,000 fed, there are 12 full baskets of leftovers 
that you now have to try to stuff into your refrigerator behind the cranberry sauce from Thanksgiving that seriously, just admit it, it's time to throw it out. No one is going to eat the cranberry sauce. <laughs> if you made more than two tablespoons, you have made too much cranberry sauce. So that's impressive, right? This miracle, 5,000 people, five loaves, two fishes, 12 baskets of leftovers. More impressive when you understand that the 5,000 was counting just the men and that there were likely women and children there too. Um, the accepted count, if you pay attention to folks that study this stuff, is that this was really probably a crowd of something like fifteen to 20,000 people. So imagine a basketball stadium, right? If you go to an NBA basketball game, 20,000 is about right. Five loaves, two fishes. <laughs> and not only is this miracle impressive, it's also important. Um, this is really one of a few stories that make it from into all four books, all of the four records of Jesus's life, all four different books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different authors all felt it was important to set this thing down for posterity. And this miracle is familiar, right? I feel like I'm walking into well-covered territory. You maybe learned this story in Sunday school. An old lady maybe put little felt pieces of fish and bread up on a felt board. You took home a badly colored coloring page of Jesus smiling, surrounded by baskets of bread overflowing, and in the foreground, the young boy with his humble lunch. Even if you don't know it, like really know it, this is probably one of those stories that are so familiar, so common that you feel like you know it, even if you don't. And here's where I think I'm in trouble. We've got this impressive, important, familiar story, this miracle, and uh, I don't find it that interesting. Here... <clears throat> Here's where my mind goes right away. I want to I I try to think about logistics. How did this work? Did Jesus have a cutting board and was he slicing up this fish really thin? Was it like sushi style? Did he have one loaf of bread that he put it in his hand and broke it and then was pulling out from the center of one chunk just never-ending chunks of bread? like a magician pulling a rainbow handkerchief chain out of his closed fist? I don't know. And I, I don't think there's an answer. It, it's, it just is. And so then I don't know what to do with it. And, and also the, the lesson seems kind of rote. It's, it's pretty fastball down the middle, right? Jesus can do a lot with a little. God is there for not just our physical needs, i.e. hunger. He's also there for our spiritual hunger, right? And that's good. Good lesson. Amen. Let's go home. Podcast over. Get back to what you were doing. But good news or bad news, really depending on your perspective, I found a way into this miracle. And, and the, the thing I'm excited by is really not the miracle itself, but 
what's going on around the miracle and how the miracle is working, not in the crowds. You see, I'm not, I'm not super interested in the people that were fed the bread and what that being fed of the bread means, but really how the miracle is working on Jesus himself what it says about Jesus and his closest friends, what they're going through. Um, so I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to, different for me, I guess. And I'm just going to work through this story bit by bit and stop and say a little bit, read a little bit more, say a little bit, and uh, we'll work our way through. So I'm going to start, uh, like I said, this is in all four of the books of the Gospels, but uh, I'm going to read out of Mark. Uh, the read there is really good. Mark 6, uh, chapter 6, and these first four verses I'm going to read 30 through 34. Okay. Here's 30. <clears throat> the apostles returned, uh, more on that in a minute, and they met with Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and all that they had taught. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So he said to them, let's get away. Let's go off by ourselves to some place where we can be alone and you can rest. We can recharge. So they started out in a boat by themselves to a lonely place. But... <laughs> Many people, however, saw them leave, and they knew at once who they were. So they went from all the towns, and they ran ahead of them by land and arrived at the place ahead of Jesus and his disciples. All right. Pause. A little context. Jesus is in, Na in Nazareth. We learned this a little bit earlier in Mark 6. He's in his hometown. This is where he grew up. This is where he studied. This is where he learned carpentry. This is where he made friends. This is where he played kickball. And he's trying to do his thing. He, he had taken his show on the road. Things were going well, but he gets back home. And then earlier in Mark, we learned that he's talking to people. He's doing his thing, right? He's teaching the message and people aren't receiving it. They're not believing. He's trying to perform miracles and the miracles are not working. Hear that for a minute. It's not working. I'm probably right on the edge of some kind of blasphemy. Jesus is failing? Hmm. But instead of giving up, right, he 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 doesn't. He he sends his disciples out, thus the, they were returning. He sends the disciples out to the surrounding towns. And I found this super interesting. He, he tells them to go, but to go with nothing. He says, don't take no food. Don't take no water. Don't take no money. Don't even take a backup shirt. Just take the clothes on your backs and your sandals and go. Rely on the kindness of strangers. And off, the, off they go. And, and this is strange too. Strange um, with no explanation in the middle of Mark, in the middle of this narrative, the writer decides to drop in this story of how John the Baptist was killed. John the Baptist, super important in Jesus's life, a second cousin, 
So he's family, a really important figure in, in Jesus's ministry, his faith, his work. And right in the middle of all this is the story. It doesn't even seem to fit the flow. And I'm trying to point to here like a heaviness in the air, right? That, that things were not going as planned. People were not listening. Miracles were not working. A key player had been killed. And the disciples were sent off on this mission destined to fail. And I want to hold this because I think this is central. Really hear these words. Weirdly, it all ends up working out. Right? The the disciples go away on their little journey with nothing, but they survive. And not only do they survive, but they have success. They connect with a ton of people. They're healing sickness. And you get a sense that when they come back to talk to Jesus, they're like pumped up and they um, want to talk about all they've accomplished. But you can also kind of see, you know, this desire to get away, that they're whipped, they're tired. And then I picture them in the boat, right? Expending all this energy to launch, expending energy to row, to get out, get themselves out to sea. And then as they get out there, they look over and they see these crowds forming on the shore. Imagine a weariness when you need rest, but then you realize you aren't going to get to rest. I don't know, you've you've had this thing, I'm sure, where you've had a hard day you get the groceries put away, you check the algebra homework, you get the kids showered, you get them put to bed, and you even maybe get on the phone with that call center for that company to get that fee reversed. And just as you sit down, (laughs) just as you get your socked feet up on the sofa, your glass of wine, your book that you've been looking forward to cracking open, you hear a Mommy, <laughs> Ugh, right? And you learn to hate the sound of your own name. This is where we are. This is the the feeling in this moment. Let's keep going. Uh, this is 35, I think. No, 34. Okay. When Jesus got out of the boat, he saw this large crowd and his heart was filled with pity. For them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. All right, quickly, this first tripped me up for a minute. Uh, I didn't like this Jesus felt pity. But then I realized that Mr. T has ruined the word pity for me. He used to always say, I pity the fool. Pity has become this word of condescension. I pity you. Like something given out of superiority. That is not what the word means. The The word means to feel sorrow and compassion for someone else's fortune. And that's beautiful. To feel someone else's sorrow. To have compassion. Jesus felt pity. And I want you to notice the poetic imagery. He was seeing them like sheep that were without a shepherd, without a leader, without guidance. And it's more than that. Y'all, sheep are dumb. Sheep without guidance, they'll run off a cliff um, or or they won't eat without being (laughs) 
told to. They'll stand in the rain. They'll get struck by lightning, even if there is shelter nearby. So I want you to feel what Jesus is feeling now. A moment before, no one was listening. Nothing was working. And now there is this mass of people skirting around the edge of this lake, trying to find him. And they are, they are exhausted. But Jesus feels sorrow, feels their sorrow, and he enters into compassion. It's beautiful. All right. Verses 35 and 36. Uh, When it was getting late, his disciples came to him and said, it's already very late. And this is a lonely place, Jesus. Send the people away (laughs) and let them go to the nearby farms and villages in order to buy something to eat. Jesus says back to them, you yourselves give them something to eat. And they asked, do you want us to go and spend 200 silver coins on bread in order to feed them? Question mark. Um, All right. (laughs) I really feel like the disciples are wiped, right? They are tired they were already tired before this crowd came before it became late in the evening they already hadn't eaten they are grumpy and they're hungry they are hangry they come and they say jesus it's late the people the people need to eat and sleep but what i think they're really saying is we need to eat and sleep sleep can we be done and when jesus says i want you to feed them they go what do you want us to spend 200 silver coins on this? This was not a good faith question. This was sarcastic. Y'all, one silver coin was equivalent to a day's wages for someone who had a good job, which wasn't a lot of people. So we're talking 200 days of labor. Y'all, this is like the same tone when my toddler won't eat his food and we resort to spoon feeding him, but even that isn't working. And then Mama Bird gets snippy and she says, do you want me to chew the food for you too? So here, here tired mom fighting macaroni and cheese down her kid's throat saying, do you want us to go spend 200 silver coins on bread? <laughs> right? And then you know the rest. Jesus steps in. And it's a little weird from here how the story goes from kind of poetic, kind of compassionate, a little like Jesus is feeling the disciples' weariness. He's feeling pity on the people. They're without. And then it gets really stale. They go find a kid. They get the bread. They line up in groups of 50. People were satisfied. How was your dinner? I am satisfied. There are 12 baskets. It gets very detail heavy. And as miraculous as it all is, it's kind of boring and methodical in how it's delivered. And y'all, what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling in the broader story, beyond the miracle, are these moments of crisis, like these moments of uncertainty, where you aren't sure if everything is going to work out. But instead of succumbing to worry, or to fear, or to criticism. Jesus models boldness. He models fearlessness. The message and the miracles aren't working. 
So Jesus says, let's go deeper into the territory. John the Baptist was killed because he was stirring up the crowds. Jesus says, let's teach and shepherd a crowd of 20,000. 20,000 people need to eat because it's getting too late. Cool. (laughs) I want you to go find them some food. And it works out. It weirdly works out. Later in the story, Jesus and the disciples finish with the crowds and Jesus sends the disciples out onto the boat ahead of him. He goes off by himself to pray and then when he returns to the disciples, he he does it in fashion. (laughs) He walks on the water and from a distance he sees them struggling because the wind has picked up another storm. And they catch sight of him and start panicking because they think that he is a ghost. And then Jesus says this to them. This will be the last little bit I'll read. And I'm skipping ahead in the story here to verse 50. They were all terrified when they saw him. Jesus spoke to them at once. Courage! Exclamation point. He said, It is I. Do not be afraid. Exclamation. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind died down. The disciples were completely and utterly amazed. Verse 52. I hear this. Because they had not understood the real meaning of the feeding of the 5,000. Their minds just could not grasp it. Just moments before, they had seen how a little trust, a little faith, a little pushing past the exhaustion could lead to the miraculous. That a bold move in faith can pay off big time. And here they are struggling again. I want to leave you with two things as an encouragement. First, this is normal, right? Here we are with Jesus in our circle, his closest followers, the best of the best, firsthand witnesses to the man, the legend, and even they are struggling to be fearless. We all have moments where we get crystal, crystal clear. Have you had those moments? They are special when you just get it. Your heart, your mind are aligned. You are in the flow. There is an absolute creative energy You are sensitive to the needs of others. You know exactly what to do. And then as quickly as it came, it can disappear. It makes me think this is silly. Sometimes I'll get super motivated to work out. I'm going to run. I'm going to do kettlebell stuff. I'm going to do keto, low carb, whatever to 
food. <laughs> and then I wake up in the morning and eat two cheeseburgers for breakfast. I didn't really do that. <laughs> we didn't understand the real, we don't understand the real miracle in the feeding of the 5,000. We are all in the process of becoming. And it's normal to flow in and flow out, to mess up. And take this as the second encouragement. And honestly, if you've heard nothing else I've said, I beg you to hear this. When you are afraid, hear Jesus saying to his disciples, courage, it's me. I'm here. When you start to doubt yourself, hear courage. When the details and the logistics get overwhelming and when you just cannot seem to see how things could possibly work out, hear courage, exclamation. And remember, try to remember with me the boldness the fearlessness of Jesus <laughs> it's a fun one um, these miracles are cool <laughs> uh, thanks for listening alright <laughs>